0: Good evening. evening. If you've ever thought our young people were not important, just look at the void that is over here on this side. They are important and we are thankful to have them, but we're thankful also that they're able to go out and be a part of the area youth series. Uh, By the way, I looked on the calendar and that group will be here on Sunday night, August the 27th, I believe it is. So uh, mark your calendars for that. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a building full uh, of young people uh, in addition to you all. So uh, August the 27th, we'll be hosting that and we look forward uh, to that. And so uh, make sure you listen out for any announcements of help or things like that that Dustin might need. Uh, Go ahead and be turning your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrew Hebrews chapter 12. As we typically do on Sunday night, we're going to jump around to several scriptures as we think about this word, hope. What would we do without hope? You remember the best-selling book, Unbroken, and movie that was uh, developed that had the same name? It's a real-life story of a World War II prisoner of war, Louis Zamperini. He and two other men, Phil and Mac, survived a plane crash in the Pacific and drifted for weeks without adequate supplies in a rubber life raft as similar to what you see on the screen here. Louis and Phil survived, but Mac did not. And the author of this story, Laura Hillingbrand, puts Louie's story into these words. Though all three men faced the same hardship, their differing perceptions of it appeared to be shaping their fates. Louis and Phil's hope displaced their fear and inspired them to work toward their survival, and each... Success renewed their physical and emotional vigor. Max's resignation seemed to paralyze him, and the less he participated in their efforts to survive, the more he slipped. Though he did the least as the days passed, it was he who faded the most. Louis and Phil's optimism and Max's hopelessness were becoming self fulfilling. You see, the two. Louie and Phil had hope, and that made all the difference. But Mac lost his hope, and that too made all the difference. If you think about a timeline or a football field, and you place things about hope on there and about life, there are some things that need to be highlighted. For example, we are in the waiting period presently. Time and distance are getting shorter. As Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 reminds us, we keep our eyes on the prize and is motivating. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And where's the hope? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Of course, we know that others that have run this race, they have finished and are waiting at the finish line. The Hebrew writer talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Do you ever think about those of this number who have gone on before us? Do you ever think about their life and their example and how they endured such uh, things? And that great cloud of witnesses and anticipating them waiting for us gives us motivation, gives us hope to continue our race. As we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, I want us to notice a couple of things about this word hope. In the Old Testament, there are several words that are translated hope, but the two most common words, Hebrew words, um, are translated to wait or to hope. One has said, someone has said about these words, the difference between hoping and waiting is whether or not there is an expectation and an optimistic outlook. You see, that's important because that carries over to the New Testament word. In the New Testament, the Greek noun and verb almost always convey the meaning of confident expectation and anticipation of a good future. That's hope. Constant or confident expectation and anticipation of a good future. Even in pagan literature... It is referred to in the same way or used the same way uh, to refer to the prospect of a good future. And there are other contexts uh, that are used in similar ways, but also refer to an anticipation of a future that is a, a prediction. Uh, some might even call it an omen. But in the New Testament, the object of hope is frequently the promises. Of God, and that's what we want to remember tonight. The fundamental meaning of the terms used for hope to the Bible brings some things to light. Hope hoping always entails waiting, though not all waiting is done in hope. You see, the object of hope determines the quality of hope. Christian hope is not just a maybe. It is an expectation. I think about passages like Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Notice it. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy anticipating, expecting this appearing of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things expected, the evidence of things not seen. Turn also to Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 11. In the middle of the chapter there, uh, my uh, my Bible titles that section, beginning in verse 13, The Heavenly Hope. And notice what the Hebrew writer says These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And doesn't that give us hope as we read through uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and think about all these people that lived by faith. They lived by faith and they died by faith. Looking for something better than this earth considering themselves pilgrims and sojourners and strangers on the earth, looking and anticipating and expecting that heavenly home. So hope for the Christian means joyful, optimism, confident, trust in the fulfillment of God's promises. God has promised it, therefore I have hope. I have expectation that God will fulfill His promises. Now, if you'll get your fingers ready, we're going to turn to several uh, passages of Scripture uh, in God's Word. Uh, First of all, we'll be Jeremiah chapter 29. And we'll look at these passages and how they relate to hope, or how hope is portrayed in them. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll begin in verse 10. You remember the majority of chapter 29 is a letter written from Jeremiah from Jerusalem uh, to the exiles that have already been transported uh, to Babylon. And this is what he says in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's probably the most famous uh, verse from that, or most known verse. Verse 12, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me, when you search for me with all your heart." I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Even though God has allowed them to be captive, He's told them through the prophet Jeremiah, 70 years... Seventy years. And as I talk to some of you that, that are around that age, and, and you talk about all the things of life, and, and we know that, uh, yes, compared to eternity, that's a small amount of time, but compared to what we know in this life, seventy years, that's a good amount of time. And to think about being in this Babylonian captivity for seventy years, but there's hope. There's hope. Because God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says that I will deliver you. I will bring you back to this place. Jeremiah uh, takes on the unhappy task to inform the people, this is going to last 70 years. And if there's any other prophets that say it's going to be shorter, Jeremiah says they, they are false. They are false prophets. He urges the people, settle down, build homes, raise families, in order to survive a nation, the promise of restoration at the end of 70 years is the basis of their hope. They have hope because God has promised He will deliver them. But they must wait. And they must live. And they must survive. And they must live with hope. Also, turning your Bibles to the book of Job. Job chapter 19. We know all the difficulty that that Job went through. But Job speaks about hope in various places. In fact, in chapter 13 and verse 15, Job says, Though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before Him. He says, I will hope and I will trust in Him. And in chapter 19... Verses 1-12, through 12, the writer says, Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred... My error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am alone. I am gone. My hope He has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled His wrath against me and He counts me as one of His enemies. His troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. Do you imagine the trials that Job goes through. And when we look at the whole story of Job, we can understand. We can understand why sometimes he just feels like he's losing hope. Like there is no hope. Uh, The walls are built up around him. He can't go anywhere. Sounds like he's pretty depressed, doesn't it? To you? And yet, it seems that initially like his friends... He believed like his friends. That those who do right are blessed. And those who do wicked will suffer. And yet here Job is, a righteous man, suffering. And so his hope is shaken. And he's disoriented about all the things that he's ever believed. He questions the justice of God and his hope is threatened. One person says, if our hope is rooted in the promises of God, when our faith is shaken, so is our hope. So the test for Job was during a period of suffering not to lose hope. And so it is with you and I. During periods of suffering, the test for us is not to lose hope. And we know ultimately Job did not totally lose his hope. Because of his faith, and because of his trusting in God, even through dark times, even through struggling with that hope and that trust, God blessed him. And God returned some of those things that Satan had taken away from him. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Do you remember the disciples and the children of Israel? They looked for a Messiah who would establish an earthly kingdom, didn't they? And that's where their hope was. And so when Jesus was crucified, that undermined their hope, that shook their hope. But for the child of God, for those apostles, those believers and followers of Jesus... Hope was restored by the resurrection. Luke chapter 24 will begin in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling in the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name is Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and crucified Him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find His body, they came saying that, they had also seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. Then He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, Skip down to verse 32. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him as they were taking bread. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. You see, they had misunderstood God's plan the children of Israel had. And to some degree, these men had misunderstood God's plan because they said, we had hoped that He would have redeemed Israel. That was their hope. That was their expectation, was the redemption of Israel. But they misunderstood that redemption. And then, when they realized it was Jesus their hope was restored and they went and they told others the lord is risen indeed the good news of the resurrection of the resurrected jesus still has power to restore hope doesn't it after all when we think about it isn't that the ultimate Victory over the final enemy. That Jesus has risen. What hope. Now turn to your Bibles quickly, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter 23. Acts, chapter 23. After this, the, the central theme, the central topic of discussion among the Christian community centered on the promises of God found in the resurrection of Jesus. Notice chapter 23 of the book of Acts in verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And notice what happened. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander fearing, lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks." Can you imagine this scene of these Jewish leaders, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, one, one group who believe in the resurrection, and the other group who do not believe in the resurrection, or spirits, or angels? And the others do. And Paul says, Listen, concerning hope and the resurrection of the dead, you're judging me. And then they start this bickering. So, so fierce is this bickering. Uh, that the commander is afraid Paul is going to be uh, pulled to pieces. Paul says in one version, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. Isn't it fascinating to consider the idea that the resurrection can cause such dissension among people, this very thing that in the New Testament Christian community, their discussions and their hope was founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet this event caused, and the resurrection in general, caused this dissension. And isn't it, fascinating to think that people may still be that way today. But some believing there is no resurrection. I mean, we have people that uh, majority believe in some sort of heaven, but a lot of people do not believe in hell. could it be, someone asked the question, could it be that people today still go through the motions of religion out of tradition or politics, but without any real hope? Let me read that question again. Could it be that people today still go through the motions of religion out of tradition or politics but without any real hope? It's kind of one of the points that we were getting at this morning. When we go out and as we're fishing for men, do do people really see a true relationship with Jesus in my life? Because you see, that will make all the difference. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Romans chapter 8. This will be our last passage of Scripture to look at. I'm sorry, there will be one more. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and following. Paul discusses the relationship between suffering, faith, and hope. Beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, groan within themselves eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. One person says, Paul uses the fundamental definition of hope in order to encourage Christian faithfulness. If hope means waiting with eager expectation for a joyful promise to be fulfilled, and if we define ourselves as people of hope, then we should not be surprised to find ourselves waiting. Again, Paul would say in 24 and 25, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For, he, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience or perseverance. And we look forward to that time when faith and hope gives way to sight, gives way to reality, gives way to fulfillment of Christ's return. And so we wait in eagerly, eagerness, in expectation, and in anticipation that no matter what this life brings, we wait for the return of our Savior. You know, silver tarnishes over time. And sometimes our hope can be tarnished like that of Job. But I want you to notice Revelation chapter 21. I want us to close with these verses in the book of Revelation chapter 21 in hope and anticipation of that great day. And I want you to envision... That day, I want you to vividly get it in your mind the day that the Lord will return, and when He calls your name, and then you can see at the finish line of this life, crossing into eternity, that great cloud of witnesses, those you have loved in this life, in the faith, who have walked in this building and other buildings that this church has met in, those who you have looked up to and admired and patterned your life to some degree, at least the life of faith afterward, can you see them waiting And as Jesus returns, and we anticipate heaven like this. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He shall dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear of From their eyes. Job, it's okay. Peter, it's okay. Paul, it's okay. Lydia, it's okay. Abraham, Sarah, it's okay. Church, it's okay. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then look over at the end of chapter 21, verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of a sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But they shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you long for those loved ones who have lived by faith and gone on to their reward? That gives us hope. Are you going through struggles and trials at this moment? Or you have uh, family members? Or you know people that are going through struggles and trials? You see, there's hope in Jesus Christ. You ever gaze at the moon? In the vast array of stars... Don't you just love it when you go out on on a clear night and the moon is bright as day because it's reflecting the sun on one full side? Imagine it now. Allow this to be hope. In heaven, it will be brighter. In heaven, the light will be better for the lamb. Is this light? No fear of death, no fear of persecution, no fear of the storms of life, because there will be none there. What hope that brings to the child of God. We're about to sing one of my favorite songs, The Right in Christ Alone. And as we think as we Lead this song as we sing this song. I want you to listen to those words. Those words, those powerful words. To think about true hope is found in Christ alone. We have the message of good news. Life bad for you here? There's hope. Things not going so good in your life, there's hope. Are you tired of being left empty by things of the world? There's hope. There's hope in Christ alone. And if you are here tonight and you need our help in any way, we invite you as we sing this song to remember that hope is found in Christ alone. As together we stand and sing.